you've got a copy of God's Word, let me encourage you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. We're in the middle of a series that we have called Power Walking. It's based on Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. And let me give you a little bit of background. When Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters, chapters 1 through 3, deal with some foundational truths that um, we build our Christian faith upon. But in chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul begins to give us some practical ways to live out our Christian faith as we walk through life. Now, last week, Paul told us the secret to power walking. And the secret to power walking is not something that we do, but it's something that God does in us. Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. He said, don't be drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. You see, when we are filled with God's Spirit, we are controlled with God's Spirit, we discover that we have the power that we need to live a life that is pleasing to God because it's not our power that we are focusing on. It is God's power flowing through us. But today, I want us to focus on on walking together. Because you need to understand that God never intended for us to walk through life alone. God made that very clear from the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 2, God said this, it is not good for man to be alone. And then he went on to say, I will provide a helper that is just right for him. Now, there are some people that that God may give a special gift, a special ability to go through life single. But for most of us, God has given us the wonderful privilege of having a partner, a helpmate, a spouse to walk through life with us. And we call that marriage. Now, God defined marriage in Genesis chapter 2. He said a man is to leave his mother and father. He will be joined to his wife, and the two will become one. Now, I believe with all my heart, one of the greatest gifts that God gives to us, apart from salvation, is the gift of marriage. Unfortunately, in our society today, we have not only diminished the importance of marriage, we have redefined marriage. But what you need to understand is we don't have the right to do that because we are not the one who created marriage. And so we certainly can't redefine it. God is the one who created it, and so God is the one who defines it. And so as we begin this morning, I want to give you my definition of marriage. It's a definition that that I use whenever I am counseling with people who are about to be married. So here it goes. Here's my definition of marriage. Marriage is a covenant that a man and a woman make with each other before God and man to spend the rest of their lives committed to helping the other become all that God wants them to be. Now notice several things in that definition. First of all, marriage is a covenant. Now a covenant is a contract, but a covenant goes deeper than a contract because a covenant is a contract that is made between people who are in relationship. So the Bible says that our marriage is a contract that we make with someone that we are in relationship with. Next, he tells us that it is a covenant between a man and a woman. 
You see, marriage is exclusively a heterosexual covenant. Now, I know that that is not popular with many people today, but understand God is the one who created marriage, and God is the one who defines marriage. Third, marriage is, or is a covenant that is made before God. You need to always remember that whenever you are making a vow to a spouse, you are making that vow before God. God is with you, listening to you as you make that vow. Fourth, it is made before other people. There are witnesses to those vows. And those witnesses are called to hold us accountable as we walk through life. Fifth, it is a permanent relationship. God never intended for marriage to be a trial and error, a start over, start again thing. When you get marriage, marriage is for a lifetime. And finally, marriage is not about getting our needs met, but about giving our life to meet the needs of someone else. So what does God say in his word about marriage? Well, there are a number of passages where God speaks about marriage. But one of the passages that I believe speaks more extensively about our role and responsibility in marriage than any other is found in this passage in Ephesians chapter 5 beginning in verse 21. So let's begin in verse 21. Listen to what Paul says. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, before Paul ever says a word specifically in regard to what a husband or a wife is to do, he gives a word to everyone. And the word to everyone is this. We need to submit to one another. Now, that word submit is an interesting word. It was oftentimes used in military. It means to be under the authority of someone else. It spoke of someone giving up control for the sake of others. Now, here's what I've come to understand. Submission is something that is hard for all of us to do. And the reason submission is hard is because when we submit, we are turning a loose of our agenda for the sake of someone else's agenda. And in every area of life, whatever our role may be, there will be times that we are called to submit. We are called to surrender what we want for the sake of someone else, for the sake of others. And the Bible says that when we submit, we submit out of reverence for Christ. And that word reverence is the Greek word phobos. It's the word we get our word phobia or fear from. What Paul is saying here is that we submit out of our holy fear for God. We submit out of our respect and our awe and our awesome wonder for God. So listen carefully. This is important. If you zone out in any other point in the message, you need to get this. The key to a successful marriage is mutual submission. Write that down. The key to a successful marriage is mutual submission. Marriage is not about having someone serve you, wait on you, or meet your needs. Marriage is about you being willing to serve, to wait on, to meet the needs of your spouse, 
period. End of story. That's what submission and marriage is all about. That means that I'm willing to set aside my selfish, self-centered wants and desires for the sake of my spouse. Now, what does that look like for a husband and wife when it comes to marriage? Well, listen to verse 22. Paul says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, ladies, take a breath, calm down, chill out, don't get up and walk out. And yes, I've had people do that before, twice. I've had people walk out on me twice when I've said the S word, submission. I mean, this is a hard thing. And yet the Bible says that in the relationship of marriage, submission is the wife's responsibility. We are told that over and over. In Colossians chapter 3, it says, wives, submit to your husbands. In 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, in the same way, you wives must submit to your husbands. And so if this is a principle found throughout Scripture, then we only have two options. The first one either is we find out what God is saying, we obey it, and we reap the benefits of it. Or second, we reject what God is saying, we refuse, and we reap the consequences. Now remember, submission is a choice. It is a choice to put the needs of someone else ahead of your own. It is a choice to put someone else's will ahead of your own. It's a choice to surrender control to someone else. So men, you need to hear this. Don't leave here without hearing this. Submission is not a right that you demand. Submission is a gift that is given to you by your wife. Did you hear me? In a marriage relationship, a husband doesn't demand submission. A wife gives submission as a gift. Now listen to the last part of verse 22. It says we are to submit as to the Lord. Now would you agree as Christ's followers, we submit to the Lord's authority in our life? Sure we do. That's why we call him Lord, right? He is the master of our life. We are relinquishing authority. We are relinquishing control. Now, do we do that out of duty? Because we have to? Because if we don't, God's going to zap us? Do do we submit to the Lord because because we're commanded to? And if we don't, we're going to be in trouble? Is that why we submit? Some people do. But that's certainly not the best way to submit. You see, the Bible says we submit to God out of love for him. Because he loves us first, we love him in return. And a wife is to submit to her husband in the same way. And the Bible says there are wonderful, there are amazing things that result because of that submission. The Bible actually says that that when a wife submits to her husband, it will make her more beautiful than the finest jewelry and the the most beautiful braided hair and the the best of all clothes. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. 
It says, wives, and in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For, for this is the way the holy women of, past, of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. You see, the reason that people don't submit, the reason that wives don't submit is out of fear. You say, Rocky, fear of what? The fear of, of someone taking advantage of me. If I fear, someone is going to take advantage of me. Someone's going to treat me wrong. Someone's going to do me wrong. And the Bible says that when you have that attitude and you're living in fear, you're, you're missing out on this great blessing of God. Now, Peter gives us two examples of submission. The first one is found in verse 1. Did did you hear that phrase? He said, wives, in the same way be submissive. Now, that phrase, in the same way, takes us back to 1 Peter chapter 2. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 22, I believe it is, uh, Peter is talking about how Jesus submitted to the will of his Father, even to death on the cross. And so the first example of submission that Peter gives us is Jesus. Aren't you thankful that Jesus submitted to the Father's will? I am, because if it were not for that submission, you and I would have no hope of eternal life. And then the second example is Sarah, who submitted to her husband Abraham, even to the point of calling him master and and Lord. And if Sarah had not submitted to her husband, we would not have the nation of Israel. And if we had not had the nation of Israel, we would not have the Messianic line because the Messianic line flowed through the nation of Israel. You see the importance of this submission thing? And yet, it is so stinking difficult to submit. Why? Well, the answer to that is found in the very first book of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, Paul was giving us, or Paul, excuse me, God has given us the the story of the fall of man and how sin entered the world. And and in the latter part of chapter 3, he's telling us the consequences of sin. And in verse 16, God says this, Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. So the first thing, ladies, You can thank Eve for pain of childbirth. It's one of the results of the fall of sin. You say, are you telling me that there wouldn't have been pain in childbirth if there wouldn't have been sin? Yeah, I'm telling you that. Pain is the result of sin. And then it says, and you will desire to control your husband. Did you get that? And you will desire to control your husband and he will rule over you. Now, here's the interesting thing. The only other place that that word desire is found in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, is Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. 
In the entire Old Testament, that word is only found in chapter 3 where God says, you will desire to rule over your husband and he will rule over you. And then in chapter 4, verse 7, where it says this, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. You see, it seems that one of the results of the fall is this constant battle for control in marriage. We all want to be in charge. We all want to rule. We all want to reign. We all want to sit on the throne. And yet, ladies, you need to understand that when Jesus came and he died on the cross, he redeemed you from the curse of sin. You have been set free from that. And you no longer have to live under that burden anymore. So what does biblical submission look like? Well, let me give you three things. First of all, it does not mean that you're a yes person. Ladies, listen. Your husband does not need a yes person. If that's what he wants, you have have my approval to go home and when you get home in a respectful way say honey Rocky said I don't need to be a yes person for you your husband doesn't need that your husband needs someone who will speak honest truth into his life you see the Bible said that you were created to be your husband's helpmate that word Helpmate in the Hebrew can be translated completer. In other words, what God is saying there is when he created us men, he didn't create us complete. We were missing a little bit. Maybe up here, I don't know. But but we need a woman in our life to complete us. And so, men, if we are not listening to the counsel and the wisdom that comes from our wives We are missing something important in our life. And so submission doesn't mean a yes person. Second, husbands, it does not mean that you can demand this from your wife. You see, submission is only for your wife to give. It's an attitude that she will want to give to you because you're the kind of man that God wants you to be. And then third, submission doesn't mean that you are enabling your husband. It means you're empowering your husband. There are some women who believe they're enabling their, or they're, they're submitting because they're enabling their husbands. They're, they're covering up their, their sin, their wickedness, their evil. But that's not helping your husband. You're enabling him. If you want to submit and empower your husband to be the man that God created him to be, you've got to be willing in a respectful way to speak truth into his life. And so the Bible says that wives are to submit to their husbands. But what does the Bible say about husbands? Let's move on. In verses 23 and 24 it says, For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. Now, as we read verse 23, a lot of men get caught up in that word head. Before they see anything else, they see that word head. And they, they open up their Bible and they open it and they sit down with their wives and say, See, hon, 
See, hey, look, look, hey, pay attention. The Bible says, I am the head. What does the Bible say, sweetie? You're the head. But listen, if you're reading Scripture under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, the first word that you're going to see there is not that you are to be the head. The first word that you're going to see is that word Christ. We are to be the head like Christ is the head. So biblically, that doesn't mean that we are superior, we're to be more honored, we are better than our wives. First Peter chapter 3 makes it clear that we are joint heirs. We are equal partners together in God's blessings. You see, headship is not about a husband's rights. Headship is about a husband's responsibilities. Headship is about my willingness to be a servant leader. It means when it comes to my family, the buck stops with me. Men, look at me. Look. If my family isn't where it needs to be, I can't blame my wife. Are we connecting? Are we okay? We all right? You could say, well, you don't know my wife. She just doesn't listen to me. Maybe it's because you're not having the kind of spirit that is worthy of listening to. Headship is not about a right that you have. It's about a responsibility that you have to be a servant leader in your home. The buck stops with you. If your family isn't going the way you want it to go, you are to blame. Now, man, listen, I'm in the same boat with you. And so when I'm saying this, I'm saying it in the mirror. Are, are we connecting? So don't sit back and say you're being hard. You don't know my situation. I don't need to know your situation. I know what the Bible says. And I know the Bible says that we are to be servant leaders. That means that I'm not sitting on a throne waiting for my wife to serve me. It means that I am on my knees washing my wife's feet because that's what Jesus did. Are you with me? Leadership is about what I give. Leadership is not about what I get. Now, now how do we lead our family as godly men? Let me give you a few things. First of all, as we lead, we never make decisions without consulting our wives. We don't do that. We have become one. We're partners. We're united. And so you don't make important decisions about life. Don't go buy that bass boat without talking to her. It's not a smart move. Not a wise thing to do. You talk things over. You discuss them. Your wife is going to have a perspective you don't have. Second of all, you pray. You pray individually. You pray together. And then third, you always check your motives. Why am I making the decisions I'm making? Am I making these decisions because it's in my best interest? Am I making these decisions because it's going to get me what I want? Or am I making these decisions because it's going to be in the best interest of my family and my wife? You see, if we're a servant leader, we're willing to set aside our desires. And that takes us to the next thing Paul says, beginning in verse 25. He says, for the husband, this means love your wives, 
Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For, for a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No, no one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. And, and as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Now, if your Bible's open, circle that word love. It's the Greek word agape. And, and if you've been coming long, you know that there are multiple Greek words for love. Agape means a a God love, a Christ-like love. It means a selfless love. And here's the crazy thing. Listen, over and over again in Scripture, husbands are commanded to agape love their wife. Nowhere in Scripture does it command wives to love their husbands this way. Now, wives, I'm not telling you not to do that. It would be good to do that. But what I'm telling you is that God's word commands a husband to have a selfless love. It's not about you. It's not about your wants, your wishes, your preferences, your desires. It's about your wife and your family. Paul goes on and he defines this love. He says this love is sacrificial You're to love like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He died for the church. And there's probably not a man in here who who wouldn't say, I'd die for my wife. But what you need to understand is this isn't saying that you would be willing to die for your wife. This is saying that you die for your wife. Not you're willing, but you do it. So what does that mean? It means you die to your wants. You die to your desires. You die to your preferences. You die to your wishes. You die to your needs for the sake of meeting the need of your spouse. That's sacrificial love. And then he says it's sanctifying love. The love makes your wife pure and holy, set apart for God's glory. Men, does your love for your wife Remind her of Christ's love for her? Is it making her more Christ-like? Because that's what it's supposed to do. And then it's a satisfying love. Paul talks about how, how we love our wives like we love ourselves. And what he's saying there is that when we love our wife, we will discover that it's a love that brings satisfaction to us. Because the best way, men, listen, the best way to get your needs met is to not focus on your needs. Focus on your spouse's needs. Begin to live that selfless, loving way and you will pretty soon discover that your needs are being met. Now here's the bottom line. He gives it to us in verse 33. He says, so again I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. There's a very popular marriage book that was put out a number of years ago now called Love and Respect. And it was based upon this verse in in chapter 5, verse 33. And it's based upon this premise. 
the basic need, the basic need of a woman is this kind of love, this selfless love. The basic need of a man is respect, being being given that respect that makes him feel like he is the king of his castle. And I think in many ways that's, that's true. Women long for this selfless love. Men long for this respect. Showing that you're number one in her eyes. And when we do those things, can I tell you we'll have the kind of marriage that's honoring and pleasing to God? And I got to tell you, we really need that today. I don't know if you're seeing it or not, but man, our culture is in trouble. Our society is messed up. And our only hope is God. And I believe one of the ways that God can use to bring a revival to our land is for Christians to begin to have marriages like the Bible teaches. And when we do, I believe with all my heart, it will be a testimony, not just to our children and our grandchildren, but to our neighbors, our coworkers, those we come in contact with. They will want to know what is it that you've got causes you to have the kind of love that you have for one another. and We're able to share the hope that we have through Christ. Because I believe that our marriages are vital to revival, I want to do something this morning. I want us to have the opportunity to renew our vows. And so if you're married, whether you're a newlywed, you're an oldie wed, or somewhere in between, and you want to renew your vows this morning, I want to give you that opportunity. And I don't want to put anybody on the spot because you may be here and you may have just had a fight and you don't want to. But I would say to you, you really need to. And so I really don't want to put you on the spot, but I don't know any other way to do this but to put you on the spot. And so if, if you're here and, and you would like to renew your vows right now, I want you to stand with your spouse. If your spouse is here, just stand and hold their hand. And I want us to take us through a, a vowel renewal service. I know some of you had to pull your husband up, didn't you? (laughs) I want to start by reading a verse, okay? A couple of verses, actually, in 1 Corinthians 13. We call it the love chapter, but listen to what Paul says. He says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. Love will last forever. Can I just say to you that that kind of love will guarantee a winning marriage? I mean, if you just read that and say, I'm going to do it every day, that kind of love will guarantee a winning marriage. 
And so I want to challenge each of you with about four challenges. You can read them up on the screen. And, and then after I give these four challenges, if you commit to them, I want you to say, we do. First of all, I challenge you to let your marriage be sealed together with the love that is revealed in God's word. Second, I challenge you to give your life and your home to Jesus Christ. Third, I challenge you to give loyal devotion to his church. And then fourth, I challenge you to let the Bible be your guide for living and the Holy Spirit your constant companion. And so will you before God and everyone else here make these commitments? If you do, say we do. So now I want to give you some vows. And vows are important because vows are promises. They're promises that we make to one another. They're promises that we make to God. And they're promises that we make in the presence of other people. So I want to start with you men. And I want you to repeat out loud these vows. Beloved wife. I thank God for our marriage. Today, in the presence of God, I renew my marriage covenant with you. I joyfully commit to placing our relationship above all earthly relationships. To love and cherish you above all others, to serving and honoring you in a Christ-like manner, to grow with you in our relationship with the Lord, and to faithfully stay with you as we face all of life's circumstances. Now, ladies, it's your turn. Beloved husband, I thank God for our marriage. Today, in the presence of God, I renew my marriage covenant with you. I joyfully commit to placing our relationship above all earthly relationships, to love and cherish you, Above all others, to serving and honoring you in a Christ like manner, to grow with you in our relationship with the Lord, and to faithfully stay with you as we face all of life's circumstances. Now, men, if you mean what you vowed, kiss your wife. Oh, I don't know who said ooh, but that was a classic. (laughs) I want to pray for you, okay? Father God, I ask you today, Lord, to use our renewing commitments to strengthen our marriage and give us marriages that are honoring and pleasing to you and a testimony to the world. 
Father, help our love for one another to grow and our desire for holiness to grow. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's be seated. Now why is this so important for us as Christians? I want you to listen to what it says in verse 32. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Here's what Paul says. He says that marriage, the relationship between a husband and a wife, is more than just a physical relationship between a man and a woman. God established marriage to be a picture to the world of how Christ loves us. And when we are loving one another the way God tells us to, he really will use our marriages to draw people to Christ. That's why it's so important. Because your marriage is to be a story, an illustration to your neighbors, your co-workers, your children, your grandchildren, to strangers on the street as you're walking through Target of God's love for us. So men, ladies, is your marriage communicating that out in the world? That's what God desires. And that's my prayer for you.